You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open our Bibles to the three scripture readings that we have for this afternoon. Two of them come from the Gospel according to Luke. In the first place, Luke 17, 1-10, and then Luke 18, 9-14. Jesus said to His disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat. Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Then we turn the page to Luke 18. And here we'll read verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We also turn to the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This afternoon we turn our attention to Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Here we confess, question 62, but why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, towards the end of last week's sermon on Lord's Day 23, we explored two contemporary challenges to the doctrine of justification. If you remember, those were narcissism and busyness. Today we come to Lord's Day 24, and we're confronted with yet one more challenge to this doctrine. This is both an ancient and a contemporary challenge. Essentially, it boils down to our pride. Wouldn't it be great if somehow we could contribute something? Even if it was just something small, wouldn't it be great if we could just contribute something to our justification? Then we could, we could feel like we're worth something, that we can play our part, that we can we can help things along. We want to matter. And what motivates that kind of a desire other than pride? It's this prideful desire to contribute something to our salvation that Lord's Day 24 addresses. And so I preach to you God's Word this afternoon, confessed by the church and summarized in the Catechism with this theme, the place of our good works in our relationship with God. We'll explore, first of all, the ineptness or the unsuitability of good works for justification. And second, the reward of good works as a gift of grace. And then finally, we'll look at the root of good works in Christ. Well, the catechism begins with a why question. Why can't our good works figure into our justification? And even if they can't form the entire basis of our justification, can't they contribute just a little bit? The background to this question of the catechism is the Roman Catholic teaching on justification. Right around the time the catechism was written in the 16th century, to be more precise, the 1560s, 
the Council of Trent was meeting. And the Council of Trent declared, and I quote, If anyone says that the faith which justifies is nothing else but trust in the divine mercy, which pardons sin because of Christ, or it is that trust alone by which we are justified, let him be anathema. Anathema means accursed or condemned. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, a more modern document, likewise states, and again I quote, faith does not fully unite the believer to Christ. What unites the believer to Christ, according to Rome, what justifies him, is faith plus good works. According to the Roman Catholic Church, our good works are indeed a part of our righteousness before God. The authors of the Catechism didn't see that teaching in Scripture. Instead, when they read the Bible, they saw that it said that anything that will get passed off as righteousness before God has to be absolutely perfect, has to be in complete agreement in every single detail with the law of God. Paul said it in Galatians 3, 10-11, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Paul goes on to say, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Perfection is the only way that anything we do can be accepted by God so that He will declare us righteous and then adopt us for His children and heirs. The fact is that when we are dead in sin, we are unable to meet that standard, that high standard. So Catechism says, even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Even when we're believers, after we've been regenerated, The good things that we do, all of them are stained with sin to some degree. And then how much more isn't that the case for someone who is still in unbelief, someone who is not regenerated, someone who does not have a right relationship with God? And here again, you can think of that powerful passage in Isaiah 64, a passage that we mentioned last week as well, where we're told that all those acts that we think that are so righteous, well, God looks at them and He says, no, they're filthy rags. Some of the last words to come from the mouth of Martin Luther were, we are beggars. That is true. Those may have very well been His last words. We are beggars. That is true. And indeed, all of us left to ourselves We are poor beggars. We have nothing to give God. Apart from our sin, we have nothing to contribute to our salvation. Certainly no good works. And the Lord Jesus taught these same truths in the parable we read from Luke 18, didn't He? He saw people around Him who sincerely believed that they were right with God. They had it together, they thought. They were, Scripture says, confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. 
driven by pride. They were deceiving themselves into thinking that they were in a healthy, friendly relationship with God when they weren't. He told the parable about two men. One was a Pharisee, religious leader whom people looked up to. The other was a tax collector, someone who would have been looked down on as a rotten scoundrel and a collaborator with the Romans. Both men went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee found the best place where where he could occupy center stage. What did he say? Well, Luke tells us that he prayed about, or you can even translate that, he prayed to himself. He wasn't praying to God. He was praying about or to himself. And as he did that, he said, God, I thank you. Thank you that I'm not like those other men. Those rotten robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even this tax collector over here. Look at this guy. Me? I fast twice a week. I give 10% of all that I get. Now, he said this good and loud so that everybody could hear him. But then there was this tax collector. Scum of the earth extraordinaire. He found a little corner in the temple. A little corner where there were few people around. He didn't even dare to pray with his eyes raised, his eyes looking up, the way people often did in those days. Instead, he beat his chest and he cried because he knew he was a sinner. And he pleaded for God's mercy. His heart was broken. This man knew that there was something really wrong with his life. He knew, however, that God could make it right. And God could bring him into a good relationship with Him. Listen to those powerful words of Christ at the end of the story. They're amazing words. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see it, don't you? We will never get right with God in the footsteps of the Pharisee. Our good works, whatever they might be, will never contribute one iota, one dot, to our righteousness before God. We have to be like that tax collector. We have to look closely at ourselves and see our our own sin and our need. We need God's mercy, just like He did. And if we cling to Christ, trusting and resting in Him alone, God, His fatherly heart will look upon us and He will have mercy. Good works are inept. They are unsuitable, inappropriate. They don't fit for justification. But the righteousness of Christ is eminently suitable. In fact, it's the only way. And realizing this causes us again and again to humble ourselves before God. Our good works are not worthy. We're not worthy. Those who humble themselves in this way will find their exaltation in the age to come. However, 
in the age to come, and also in this age, God promises to reward the works which we do as believers, which are consistent with His Word, and which are done to His praise and glory. That biblical truth drives the second question of our Lord's Day this afternoon. Doesn't that mean that there's some way in which our good works do, in fact, earn us something from God? Even if that doesn't mean justification? Well, this is where we need to consider the teaching of our Lord Jesus in Luke 17. In verses 7 to 10 of Luke 17, He speaks to His disciples. He says, let's say that one of you had a a servant, or better translated, a slave. Now, Now the key thing to recognize here is that a slave was not usually paid for his service. A slave, or a servant, as the the NIV translates that word, was bought. He was treated like a piece of property. A slave worked for nothing, usually. He didn't have any rights, and his master didn't owe him anything, especially anything for his labor. And so that slave is out in the field, Would the master invite his slave to to sit down and eat with him? Not likely. Wouldn't he instead go and tell him to get busy and make supper? And when the slave does what he's supposed to do, he doesn't get wages. He doesn't even get a thank you. And so the Lord Jesus says, when you've done everything you were supposed to do, just say, we are unworthy servants. We only did our duty. Now we have to take this passage in the the context of the entire Bible and especially the, the Gospels in the New Testament. Because the amazing thing is that the Master did in fact invite His slaves to eat with Him. He still does. And even more amazing he, he, he took those slaves and he brought the slaves into his father's house. Still does that too. And all those things and many more, they were not being given wages for their service. Their status was slaves. And so it is with us. It's the reason why the Apostle Paul, several times in his epistles, calls himself a slave of Christ Jesus. Again, the NIV translates that as servant of Christ Jesus or servant of God. We can also say slave of God. Doulos in Greek. Like Paul, we were created to serve God and, and to glorify Him forever. That's why we're here on this earth. When we become Christians, God doesn't owe us anything for the service we render to Him with our lives. The fact that He does give us blessings and He does give us rewards, all of that is entirely out of His grace, His his largesse. It's unearned. He doesn't owe us any of it. Think of what it says in Romans 11.35, passage we read this morning as our call to worship. Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? The answer? Nobody. The only wages that the Bible knows about are the wages of sin. The rest is all grace. 
And that brings us to consider finally the root of our good works. Now remember here that we're, we're speaking about those who are Christians, those who are believers, those who are, as the Catechism puts it, grafted into Christ. The question there is whether or not this teaching doesn't make people careless and wicked. Well, this was an objection from the 16th century, an objection raised by the Roman Catholics. If good works don't earn us anything with God, then, then why on earth would we do them? What would motivate us? Now, in light of what we heard last week, note the narcissistic bent to that sort of question. As if we would only do something good if we could get something out of it. The answer is connected inextricably to Christ. Just as believers are connected to Christ and united to Christ through faith, According to the Catechism, the Bible teaches us that good works are inevitable for those who are truly grafted into Christ. Now that word grafted is interesting. It's it's another way of speaking about union with Christ. Being joined to His body. Just like a, a branch properly grafted onto an apple tree is going to inevitably bear fruit, so also people who are properly grafted into Christ are going to bear fruit as well. Fruits of thankfulness for the salvation they have in Christ. But don't take the Catechism's word for it. Look at what the Bible says. In our reading from Ephesians 2 in verses 8 to 10, we're reminded that faith is a gift of God. We're reminded that our salvation is not by works. And this prevents anybody from getting prideful. It prevents any boasting. And then verse 10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, we are entirely the result of God's handiwork. And He created us Note these words. He created us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That means that our new identity is tied up with our union with Christ. Being grafted into Christ by true faith. And what was the purpose, or you could say the result of all that? The fruit is good works. Good works flow out of our union with Christ. The Lord Jesus made the same point in John 15.5 when He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in Me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. Did you hear those last words? Apart from Me, you can do nothing. Just as inevitably as a normal, healthy apple tree bears apples, so the body of Jesus Christ will also bear the fruits of thankfulness. You can't help but do that. That's what it's for. That's what it's designed to do. It's natural. And so good works are the fruit and not the root of our righteousness with God. They're the fruit and not the root of our relationship with God. 
You know what? Satan would love to have us turn that right around, turn it upside down. And something in us, in us, could it be our pride, wants to do that as well. But following what the Scriptures teach, we must resist that temptation. With God's help, we hold to the Gospel of grace. For it alone is is truly good news. Now as we get to the end of the sermon, you're probably waiting for the exhortation now to to go out and do good works and, and show that you're grafted into Christ. But if you are grafted into Christ... Do I really need to tell you that? Well, in one sense, no. Grafted into Christ by faith, you'll love His Word. And you'll want to dig into it for yourself. And as you do so, you'll come across the commands. And you'll come across the imperatives. They're there in the Bible. They're in the Gospels. They're in the Epistles. They're they're all over the Bible. And as you come across them, they will shape your walk of life. And many of those commands are framed in the context of our our thankfulness, and hopefully you'll recognize that. But on the other hand, as a preacher, I also have a responsibility and calling to preach the whole counsel of God. That certainly means announcing the good news of what Christ has done for us. But because the Word of God tells us to go out and do good works, I'll preach that Word too. Explaining it more fully and carefully and and applying it wherever I can. See, that's the Word of God preached. There's the Word of God written, but there's also the Word of God as it's preached. And God uses both those means to shape the thankfulness in our lives. And when that Word is preached, when you hear those exhortations from the Bible, understand very clearly that it is not the root of our righteousness in any way. The Word written and preached exhorts you to be who you are in Christ. To show your love and thankfulness for your God by living a Christian life. Not because you're going to pay back God by doing that. Nobody could do that. Because it's what you're created to do and to be. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for the all-sufficient righteousness of Christ our Savior. Without it, we would be lost. We thank You also for Your grace and kindness in rewarding our good works, even though they they merit and they, they earn nothing before You. Truly, we are unworthy servants who simply do our duty. We praise Your mercy, Your compassion, Your largesse. Father, we pray that our, our union with Christ would continue to bear fruits of thankfulness, fruits that bring glory and honor to Your name. Help us with your spirit and your word, both as it's written and as it's preached, to be who we are in him. We pray in Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. 
This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.